Hey there, and welcome to Beer Branding Trends, conversations on building stronger craft beverage brands. Kodo Design has spent more than a decade working with craft food and beverage artisans, helping them to brand or rebrand, reposition, and reimagine what a compelling F&B brand can be. This show captures all of our fieldwork and experience into practical strategies, tips, and tactics to help you build a stronger brand and sell more beer. I'm Isaac Arthur. And I'm Cody Fay. And this is the Beer Branding Trends Podcast. Hey, Cody, what's up? Not a whole lot is up, Isaac. How are you doing today on this gray Indiana morning? <laughs> it is the start of mud season here in Indiana. <laughs> I'm doing well. Cody, for today's episode, you sat down to talk shop and do an informal after action review with Damon Udale of Good George Brewing out of New Zealand. Now, why did you do that? Well, we spent about <laughs> a calendar year uh, rebranding their brewery. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's right. I completely forgot. Yeah, no, that was definitely more than a year. It was it was like 13, 14. Months, oh, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we a year plus year plus a big project for us. And Good George is one of New Zealand's largest breweries. We help them navigate a top to bottom rebrand. There was a big emphasis on strategy, positioning and brand architecture in particular up front. Uh, there was an equally huge amount of design work on the back end. So just a big project all around. Yeah. Deliverable wise, I think this is probably one of, if not the largest projects we've ever fielded, ended up touching several different categories from beer, but also spirits and ready to drink cocktails and non-alcoholic beverages and cider. And there's more stuff in the works right now as well. You know, I'm, it's probably something to discuss offline, but I'm surprised they're not into wine. But anyway, we'll get into that here in a minute. Fruit wine, <laughs> cider. I don't know. It's all a fine line. But yeah, it, it is a little surprising. I I wonder what the New Zealand wine market's like. I don't know much about it. You know, we don't need to sit here and talk for too long. I mean, I, I think there, there's really just one thing that I wanted to highlight before we roll the conversation, and that's the idea of brand architecture as a deliverable. So We've been working on brand architecture projects since about 2018, uh, but that's primarily been project-based, You know, helping breweries figure out how to launch a Beyond Beer product, how that fits within their portfolio, how their parent brand could be leveraged to, to best help a new product launch velocity or achieve velocity, I should say. For Good George, we actually developed their brand architecture, the map itself, as a deliverable. Yeah. And it ended up being kind of a focal point and a really important deliverable in the process of getting all the other stuff done later, too. Yeah. And you guys talk about this a bit in the conversation. So what I wanted to highlight right here was just Damon's point about using brand architecture as a guide for new product development. So we wrote about this in the Beyond Beer Handbook. We included it as one of the reasons why understanding your brand architecture is important. But after working with Good George on this project and actually getting our hands, you know, into a project of this scale, I think this this point is actually way more important than how we originally framed it in the book. And, and I, I think that I think that this is something that any brewery that that is either already in Beyond Beer or you know, kind of flirting with that idea over the next year or two, I think this is something they should consider very soon. Yeah, I, I would say even if you have kind of different houses in your brewery, right? So you're doing a lot of different types of specialty beer. I think brand architecture would be super useful too. I think Damon used the phrase uh, like future proofing, uh, as in, you know, this brand architecture work sets Good George up for the next five to seven to, you know, who knows, but however many years of yeah. the next yeah. phases of new product development. I agree. You know, I, I think that's going to be increasingly important as breweries are launching that third or fourth Beyond Beer product or whatever it is. Or like in Good George's case, you have these breweries who have gone all in, um, already launched a variety of products and are now 
caught in kind of this whirlwind snarl of trying to figure out <laughs> what their parent brand means for all of these different things. You know, how can it ebb and flow and kind of rise and fall through the rest of the portfolio and and what that ends up looking like across a very wide array of different, you know, of diverse products. Exactly. It's, it's just, it's a really solid point that he made. And there's, there's so many other things that I want to discuss here, like the overall strategy of opening multiple tap rooms for margin and brand experience versus uh, what was it? Packaging and distribution for scale. I think Damon's entire perspective on health and wellness, when you guys were talking about non-alcs is really important as well. I think that any brewery that doesn't have this larger macro trend of health and wellness on their radar is going to be caught kind of flat footed over the next five years. Yeah, on the note of non-alks and kind of the cult- cultural shift that has happened, I also learned that there's a dry July in New Zealand. Maybe it could catch on here. <laughs> you you give a mouse a cookie, man. That's just too much. <laughs> I I don't I don't. We already have a bunch of dry months. I don't like it. My July is staying damp. Thank you very much. <laughs> but lots of good stuff here. Let's stop wasting everyone's time and roll your conversation with Damon and Good George Brewing. Let's do it. We are here with Damon Udale of Good George Brewing Company. Hey, Cody. How you going? I'm doing really well, man. How are you? Good, thank you. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Good George. I'm head of marketing for Good George Brewing Co. from Hamilton, New Zealand. So wide range of things, but most recently what's been used up my time is the Good George Refresh. So uh, bringing everything under the Good George brand and updating the look and feel for our full portfolio, which is beer, cider, gin, vodka, pre-made cocktails, ready-to-drink cocktails, and tonic water. I mean, this is probably a good time for you to give us a rundown on Good George and what you guys do. So products you guys are making, kind of give us an idea of the scale, you know, like hectoliters of beer or you know, however you want to measure that. Kind of the, some of the best-selling stuff or the, the beers and other beverages you guys are known for. Talk a little bit about Good George as a company. Sure. So Good George is an independently owned craft brewing company. We were born 10 years ago in Hamilton, New Zealand. We started off originally just with beer and cider and quickly our stables became IPA. We were well known as that. We've won three gold medals with that brew. And then we became quite famous for our Doris cider. And then over time, we have branched into other categories as well. And this has been on the back of us owning uh, several bars across the Waikato region and then also working with bar, partner bars as well. So over time, we've started branching into gin cocktails, so pre-made espresso martinis, passion fruit martinis. Uh, most recently, we've got into ready-to-drink cocktails. So we've got a uh, gin soda, a gin smash, and a vodka mule. And then as well as that, we have our own small batch vodka and tonic waters. Nowadays, we're known, still known for our IPAs, but very much known for our hazy. And Doris Cider is still our number one selling cider. Uh, Scale-wise, we're one of the larger independently owned breweries uh, doing craft beer and cider. Uh, most recently, though, we're known for our hazy IPAs. Our Haze of Glory has twice uh, this year been voted the number one hazy beer in New Zealand. And that's very much a trend coming through New Zealand and something that we're building a reputation for. For gin, we're new into the scene. 
but mating in roads into this space quite quickly. We've got a bit of a cult following with some of our um, more unique ranges like the COVID gens. I'm going to ask a really broad question here, and it's intentionally broad, but for folks who aren't familiar with the scene, uh, with the New Zealand market, what does the craft beer world look like right now? And and maybe like considering your portfolio, you know, what is a craft beverage scene looking like in New Zealand right now? It's really exciting in New Zealand. So craft beer has been taking off for oh, at least five years in New Zealand. Mm. Um, it's now bigger than mainstream beer and it's about 80% of the size of premium beer and gaining quickly. Uh, we've got over 200 different craft brands in New Zealand. And then as well as that, we have international craft players. In terms of what are Kiwis drinking in the craft scene, IPA, that's the backbone. Uh, we've been hit by the haze craze, as has mm. the rest of the world. So for the last two years, probably, uh, hazy beer has been dominating the scene. Um, as well as that, most recently, we've had kind of cans come through the market. So everyone's moved from, or a lot of players have moved from glass six-packs to can six-packs. And predominantly, the market is in either a six-pack or a single format. So a full 40 mil or 330 mil. Or yeah, good George, we like to do our squealers, which are 946 mils. I'm going to ask a question off the outline here, just because I'm curious. I remember when we started working together, I was kind of gobsmacked that what had happened here in the States with seltzer, specifically White Claw, but just the seltzer category in general, had not taken off in New Zealand quite the way it had here. I, I guess my question is, and I'm, I'm asking for your speculation more than anything, how did New Zealand escape the iron claw of, of seltzer, of the seltzer category? So it definitely, we thought it was coming. The grocers definitely wanted it to come. And probably two years ago, all the breweries were launching seltzers, but it didn't land for a couple of reasons. Um, in New Zealand, we already have a well-established RTD market, and these are sold outside of grocers. They're not allowed to sell spirits and grocers in New Zealand. Um, so this market was already well-established. We had a number of players worth 500 million to New Zealand. So we're probably further along than you were in America already. And then second to that, the word seltzer, we don't, it's not a word we use in New Zealand, and it's not a word that we understand. So all the seltzers that went to market are in plastic dust all over their packaging. And I think it just confused Kiwis. You can only buy beer, cider, or wine in supermarkets. And then all of a sudden we were seeing this word salty everywhere, but no one really knew what it actually was. On top of that, um, because they had to be grocery compliant, they had to be made from a beer, cider or a wine base. And I don't think any of the players necessarily got the taste right to start with. So you combine all those things together and it just didn't take off. Everyone tried hard to make it work for the first year, but after that, um, sales dropped off in the space that was given to salts. Um, got reclaimed back by cider and beer. Kind of on that note, I know as we were working through the project this year together, we spent a lot of time throughout that work talking about beer trends, beverage trends here in the States. From your perspective, how do you think the the craft beverage scene in New Zealand, how closely are they following trends in other markets, whether it's the States or elsewhere? Do you have your finger on the pulse for emergent trends and, and beverage categories and things like that? How closely do you think people are watching the rest of the world? Yeah, definitely. I think New Zealand gets a lot of its trends from overseas, specifically the US and the UK. Craft beer in particular, I think the US, 
Oh, we look there. See you guys into the leaders then. And um, definitely the highest praise came from you guys. So we're definitely looking over there. And I think consumers are as well. Uh, with social media and the internet, it's so much easier to see what's happening in the rest of the world. And craft beer has such a cult following that um, even our consumers have got their finger on the pulse and know what's coming from overseas and are reaching out to us and asking, when are we going to be releasing a cold IPA or something like that? So for us, we take a global lens, but particular interest in the US for craft beer, but then for cider and spirits, uh, it's a lot more international and definitely the UK pops up um, as a hotspot for gin and cider for us. I want to talk a little bit about the namesake, Good George Brewing Company. Fill our listeners in. Where, where does the Good George name come from? So 10 years ago, uh, there weren't many craft breweries um, in New Zealand, and there weren't, certainly weren't many brew pubs. So the three founders, Robert Hamilton, decided to start a brew pub, and the location they chose was the old St. George Church in Hamilton. So uh, that's where George came from. Uh, the word good, it's a really Kiwi word uh, because it's understated, which is really big for Kiwis. So good George was born that way. We use the word good because it's central to everything we want to do. We want to over-deliver and we want to offer you great, but we're just going to call it good. So we aim to produce good beer for good people and we love having good times with our community and friends. So prior to working with you guys, we were kind of sizing this project up and you know, from our perspective... Good George as a, a business concern was going pretty strong, at least, you know, from an outside view, it, it seemed like sales were going well. Um, the fan base is sort of passionate and and engaged with you guys. You were already reaching out into several different beverage categories before we even talked. So it kind of begs the question, why did your team feel the need to approach this brand refresh? What was the opportunity that you guys saw? What What pain points did you guys want to address through the process? So Good George started off with beer and cider and then particularly over the last two years we've evolved into multiple categories and so for us it was about getting our house in order our branding and hierarchy naming conventions we got a little bit loose on them we had even our gin was under a, a different brand name of day off which was endorsed by good george and then even the naming conventions we were using across beer at times they went was consistent so for us it was all about future-proofing the business. We wanted to have a big review of the entire business and bring everything under the Good George umbrella to create a consistent look and feel. And one of our, K, uh, our key KPIs um, and key metrics that we track is around increasing our brand awareness. And we believe that we could do this uh, by working with you guys to create a consistent look and feel for our packaging, a really strong logo that stood out on shelf. Our packaging is our biggest asset and we needed that to work harder to lift our brand awareness. When I tell people about the work that we were doing with you guys this year and the breadth of categories you guys have a finger in, it, it's amazing. And I think when I talk to people here in the States, they're always surprised. They're like, wait, one one concern is doing cider, is doing you know some NA drinks and spirits and RTDs and, and, and beers of all different kinds. Uh, people are always a little bit taken aback by that. That puts you in something like seven to a dozen different categories, depending on how you count it. Was this the plan since day one? Is this something that just came as a natural extension of the business? How did you end up with such a vast breadth of in the portfolio? And it always has been in the plan because the backbone of Good George has been the bars. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started off as a brew pub 
and we still see ourselves as a pub business. And the mentality has always been that we we can produce anything just as, just as well as our competitors, and we can do it in house. So if we can produce a gin just as good as anybody else, why should we not do that? Why should our buyers be buying um, gin when we can make that ourselves? So they're inside of what we started with. And then uh, COVID, uh, the lockdown for COVID really accelerated the growth into the other areas. Um, got still started tinkering with that, but it still took us a year till we were happy with the liquid. Um, and we released the first batch to consumers, but two years since that, we've won 13 medals within our gin and our vodka. And also we're pretty happy with the results there. I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier regarding tracking brand awareness. I know one of the big goals of this project um, when we set out was to make this wide array of products recognizable as good George offerings. I think that there were some places where that ne- wasn't necessarily clear, at least at the coming in blind at the retail level. So I mean, we wanted to kind of unite those under the same banner, no matter which category they they fell under. Now that some of this stuff is rolling out, are, are people noticing it? I mean, just to ask plainly, like, do you think it's working? Yeah, definitely. So the feedback from uh, consumers and customers uh, without their own side of it is then the new branding, the popping up on shelf, brand blocking we're achieving in this 10 out of 10. With the Spirits portfolio, that's probably where we've had more main changes. We've brought things under the good chord. Um, master brand. We're only just getting that into market now, but the early feedback from customers is really positive. And we've also had consumer feedback that they're starting to shop the range of Good uh, Good George products across our key flavors. So consumers that were big fans of Doris Cider um, are now aware that we've got a Doris gin and a Doris ready-to-drink cocktail and trying the range because they trust the Good George brand and they trust the Doris flavor. So the early signs are really positive for us and it's on to see how it shapes up the rest of the year and next year. This is something we talk about here on the show all the time, but I, I view this as a really good opportunity to kind of get it from a brewery's marketing perspective. A lot of the initial buildup to our brand strategy work centered around sorting and mapping out the brand architecture of Good George. So across all these different products, how do they relate? How are they grouped? You mentioned a little bit talking about naming conventions and making sure that's consistent. Or, you know, we could probably get into like value propositions of the different products and how that works. But from your perspective, in your words, why do you think it's valuable for a brewery to understand its brand architecture? For us, the key objective, which we touched on, was awareness. And by having the bright, the right brand architecture up front, it would future-proof us and allow us to consistently present the brand in a manner that we wanted, that was easy for consumers to understand and remember. Um, so having a strong brand architecture allows us to easily make decisions in the future about naming conventions for extensions and also how we want to enter new categories. So doing this work up front basically sets us up the next five years, maybe even longer. So for us, it was extremely important. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk gin. It's one of my personal favorites in terms of the outcome and and how we ended up taking all of these elements and sort of infusing them into, into the final product as it sits on the shelf. These things definitely have a kind of premium feel. I mean, they are a more limited, handcrafted was a word that came up a lot. Small batch came up a lot. In your opinion, do your customers, do Kiwis in general value a small batch locally produced spirit more than they would like a factory bottle from some of the big international guys? What are your customers looking for 
in a spirit like the gen line. Definitely our consumers are looking for that. The gin category uh, in New Zealand, in terms of spirits, is having a moment, just like it is everywhere else in the world, at least for the past three, four, maybe five years, gin has been that spirit of choice. And what we're seeing is consumers, uh, new consumers are coming into the category, new and old, and they're also shopping a range of products just like they are in craft beer. Mm. And I, I describe it to sort of like, what the wine category is probably back in the day consumers had one brand of gin that they drank and they finished the bottle and they go to the shop and they get another one but now consumers are shopping multiple different brands and the heart of that is small locally small batch gins i don't know consumers are looking for a story i believe and they're looking for mm-hmm. products that are real they want to know where it's made they want to know who it's made for and most importantly what does the brand stand for so we're seeing a huge increase in distilleries popping up in New Zealand, brands that are popping up, and um, it's being supported by the sales. And then more, you guys have also released some really tactical products. Immediately what comes to mind is the off 2020 gin that you released as a part of the COVID series. That seems to me kind of thinking back and plugging our project into like the Good George timeline from before we were working with you guys. That looks like a pivotal moment, I think, in the team deciding to move forward with sort of a brand refresh or a process of figuring out how to represent the Good George brand to consumers. What was it about that product, the name, the vibe of it, the timing, you know, it was released during one of the heights of, of COVID. I know they keep like peaking and <laughs> receding and peaking <laughs> and receding. It seems like you guys garnered a huge community response, like people more so than they usually would about a given product just got really into what you guys were doing with this product line. How did the success of that help you lead to the decision to approach this brand refresh? So off 2020 came about in December 2020. And we in New Zealand, we've been in lockdown earlier in the year when COVID had first hit. I think we had maybe 10 weeks. All right. So the whole country was in lockdown. Stay at home, go to the supermarket, come home. That's about it. Uh, we were shut off from the rest of the world. But by November, December, we were out of lockdown and we were living life normally, going around to bars, going to beaches, but the world was still a mess. Shipping was a nightmare. We couldn't get cans to make beer. Grocery prices were going through the roof and it was pretty clear the world was fucked. And it was all a little bit depressing. So one day, uh, one of the owners actually came in and just had the brainwave of, what about if we just told 2020 to fuck off and put it on a gin bottle? And we ummed and art about it for a long time. I had one moment I woke up and I, I was thinking, we can't put a bottle. What will our consumers think? That's not good, George. We can't possibly do that. Luckily, I got talked off the ledge and we decided to do a small run. We'd just put it out and see what happened. And it went bananas. I think for the next eight weeks, we were doing double shifts, making gin. And it really resonated with our consumers. Uh, it got picked up by social media across the globe um, i can't remember the next car driver but somebody shared it and it went viral we had people all over the world trying to get their hands on it so that started a series for us of the COVID gins so then uh, in the middle of 2021 we went back into lockdown in new zealand so we released for sakes 2021 then that took off again and then at the end of 2021 uh, we were out of lockdown at this point but it was a little bit unsure what was going to happen next in the world so we released what's next 2022 a little bit of positivity there 
And we are actually set to release on Friday. The f- stops here. Uh, so we're putting gold flakes into this as well because we're, we're calling it the pandemic is over and we're moving on and the life is looking all gold and rosy. So that's uh, kind of the story of the COVID gins and how they came about. But to your other point, that sort of invigorated us and gave us a North Star in terms of what a good George stands for, a tiny voice, and what our role was. We always knew we were, we had the humor, we were prepared to say what people were thinking, but it's almost like we went for a, for a small period of time, we weren't brave enough to, and um, the success of this reminded us that this was our role and this is what we were good at. And it sort of spurred on uh, conversations with you guys. Uh, whenever we do anything uh, marketing or product-wise, we always want to make sure it has the good George flair, the good George extra sauce. And for us, that North Star is 2020. We're prepared to say what everyone else is thinking, and we want to be a little bit of provocative, but we would never attack um, a person or a place. Although we have broken that rule once um, when we released uh, Piss Off Putin Vodka with all all profits going to um, the Red Cross to support the uh, Ukraine refugees. So yeah, definitely that was a moment, Cody, that kind of um, got us to where we are today and um, something we often refer to internally to make sure we've got that energy and we're breaking through. And that's something that, uh, you know, it it comes through, I think, in the new branding work as well, where it feels like there's a little bit more of an edge to it. There's a little bit more of that hard-nosed quality. And, and, you know, you can be good without being saccharine or without lying, you know. So watching Good George become this almost like sometimes being good means you have to like yeah. s- say the you have to point to the elephant in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, um, well, we got a mojo back with that. And um, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was an exciting moment for us. Um, yeah, it's been fun putting the COVID gins out, but um, we're also glad that hopefully this is the end of them. Uh, yeah, cheers to that. So this is like a big abstract sort of campfire question, but how have you guys stayed true to your roots as you've expanded and grown into new categories? You know, there are different sort of audience considerations and different parameters for each of these product lines across all the stuff you've done. You know, what hasn't changed about Good George along the way through all this work? The one central thing would be liquid. Uh, anything we do has to have good liquid. Gin is an example of that. That it took us a year to get our first bottle of gin out. And the same has stood for any other new products that we've moved into, cocktails, tonic water, crafted cocktails. So having high standards there is really important to us. And then so even at the moment, we're looking at new categories of whiskey and rum. But until the liquid's right, uh, we won't be releasing anything there. As well as that, the category has to fit the Good George mentality. Rum and whiskey really sort of fit the Good George brand. So it's important that we can connect with our consumers and they would want to see us move into that category. I want to shine some light on the variety of hospitality venues that you guys either own or, or license, you know, brew pubs, tap rooms, outlet bars and the like. I think like at your core, kind of the way you guys made your bones initially was basically as a hospitality group or as a hospitality company. We've had a lot of conversations with stateside clients over the years about the merits of building, you know, multiple brick and mortar locations, tap rooms, places that people can go and gather. 
And then kind of the alternative to that, the approach of broad distribution at the retail level, all those conversations floating around when it comes to building brewery business. How does Good George think about owned premise and tap rooms versus distribution and retail and packaging as far as brand building are concerned? Is one necessarily more important than the other? What is the relationship there? It's definitely a balancing act, but the tap rooms we have, and as an advisory network, I can clear this, there's a few different breweries in New Zealand that have tap rooms, um, and more and more breweries have at least one tap room. But having multiple has always been something that's been really important to Good George. Um, it allows us to launch new products on scale, and we can engage with a higher number of consumers and control the whole experience. So from a brand point of view, that's extremely important to us. But at the same time, we know we have to balance that with the scale and the pack product brings that for us. So that's why getting these new set packs into market and branding on shelf, that's so important. But at the same time, engaging with all our consumers through our home bars is really how we reward our loyal customers and build that. The large following base of um, good George fans. I think as, as we learn more about you guys and I kind of saw like, how the business has operated at the scale and the breadth you guys have operated at. It seemed like the the on-premise and the the sort of brick and mortar side of things was completely squared away. And so not to say that retail and package presentation and stuff became more important because I think that would be misleading. But to me, the challenge more is how do you take the core of that hospitality offering and make sure that someone gets a sense of that when they look at a six pack or a, a bottle of gin or whatever. To, to make sure that, that that brand experience was extended to that retail endpoint. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's something we often talk about, how we can consumer with our pet um, products to our, to our tap rooms. How do we share the experience or how do we get them in through the door? And the same, we're actually applying to the online channel now as well. Okay, I've been waiting to talk about this one, both because of conversations we've had either um, in the Beer Branding Trends newsletter or here on the podcast revolving around hop water and non-alcoholic beer and the future of non-alcoholic beer, I want to talk about virtual reality. So for folks who don't know, Good George Brewing released a product called Virtual Reality. This is a non-alcoholic hazy IPA. And this name was something you guys had kicked around in tap rooms. It was kind of a previously existing thing that we plugged into this, this product here and kind of the new presentation of it. You guys reformulated this. Um, I remember over the summer, like, it was taking some time to get the taste and the flavor right. You know, it took us a little bit of time to get the sort of brand presentation of this product right. But since then, it seems like it has done really well. Was this something you guys expected, the, the success of the non-alcoholic beer? Did you expect that to pop like this has? Has the reception caught you off guard at all? And then more broadly, how would you describe the cultural shift that has led to an increased demand for this type of non-alcoholic product? We were definitely expecting it to be popular, but it's definitely over-delivered for us to date. And it's shaping up to be a huge summer for 0% for us and for the whole category. Developing this product, it was sort of uh, this project that works really quickly from our liquid point of view and the packaging point of view. Uh, We'd never done a 0% beer into a pack before. So the timeline to hit this was quite tight. Uh, We've got dry July here in New Zealand. So that was the timeline we were aiming for. And then also working with you guys on the packaging where we landed, I'm really, really happy with. Um, But it was something that the purple blue is a little bit different, but shelf standout has been amazing. The feedback from customers has been amazing. So it was sort of a sprint to get this 
product to market. And then since then, we've definitely been playing a little bit of catch-up to fulfill all the orders that we're getting through the grocery and online. But then what we're seeing is the whole craft zero market has exploded in New Zealand. So Dry July saw you know, at least eight different craft breweries into the market, where before we probably only had one or two. And the whole category has just come to life, which has continued outside of Dry July, which has definitely caught a few people by surprise. It's stealing share from mainstream 0% for sure, but it's also moving craft into new categories and bringing consumers in. So previously where consumers, either they don't drink uh, or they're taking a break, they're now turning to craft Europe assault. And as well, when they are out and about with friends, have got a big day the next day or they're driving, they're turning to craft zero percent. So we're seeing um, a whole bunch of new consumers enter, which is great. And it's looking like this is going to be a huge uh, summer for zero percent huge amount of brands have entered the space and we're starting to see two or three clear on our brands that are winning so it's shaping up to be a very exciting summer in terms of cultural stuff in new zealand it's definitely uh we're seeing a trend towards consumers drinking less and um zero percent will be a big factor in that and i think it's something that's going to shape the entire alcohol category for the next few years for sure it's something we need to be very mindful of so, you know, for folks who can't see behind the scenes of how something like this is developed and released and, and all the blood, sweat and tears that go into it, I, do, I remember a point where we were working on the packaging and then you guys said, basically, the R&D is not happy with where this beer is yet. So we have to put this off for I don't even remember what the amount of time was, whether it was a few weeks or, or whatever it was. And I think taking that extra time to get it right was worth it. And you look up the untapped page for this virtual reality hazy IPA and see what people are saying about it. You know, it's finally one of these to taste good. They talk about the flavor, the fullness of the flavor. They also talk about, which I think is interesting specifically for a hazy or, you know, what we would know as a New England IPA over here. People are saying, yeah, the mouth feels right. Like this tastes thick the way I expect this style to taste. So that extra sweat and, and you guys kind of on the back end, just making sure that when you put this out, you can be proud of it, I, I think has kind of bared itself out on the market. Definitely. We've got to give a huge amount of credit to our growing team at Good George. This has been one of our best products we've released this year. And um, we put out a, quite a few good ones, in my opinion. It's, it's caught me by surprise even. I don't mind to say that this um, is probably my bro of choice at the moment. I never thought a 0% would scratch the edge on a Wednesday, but um, it definitely does. And... Um, I think this will be one of our biggest sellers coming into summer and a huge opportunity for us, but also for craft beer in general. We have so many things to talk about. I'm going to shift gears again. Isaac kind of wanted us to talk about cider, kind of selfishly skirting this question in at the end. And I'll talk from our perspective a little bit about cider as a category over the last, uh, I mean, you know, we've been working in the beverage space for over a decade, but I would even say over the last five years, maybe like just into pre-COVID time, we were always really surprised that cider, even just as at the sort of mid-sized craft level, has not exploded here in the States. And I know there are some macro brands that have done very, very well kind of quietly. But especially as the Beyond Beer space has sort of evolved and opened over the last few years to present a lot of different exciting possibilities. Cider has been a huge part of Good George. It's been a huge part of your business. Who is drinking cider in New Zealand? 
What do you think about the category overall? Is this something that's always going to be big for you guys? Are you bullish on it? Do you see beer competing, pulling against it? What's your estimate of the category? So cider has always been a female-led category, um, but not to the extent that you would expect probably. Um, we usually see a 60-40 split between females and males. Gluten-free is um, definitely a large driver for why people are drinking cider, we found. Um, a lot of uh, customers are looking for something that's gluten-free, and if we can't offer them beer, we can definitely offer that in cider. In terms of cider as a category, it's a big focus for us next year. Um, in New Zealand, the cider category is probably a little bit stale. Um, it's been in decline for a year or so, and that's largely due to RTDs are booming here in New Zealand. Most recently, the RTD category, a few brands have come in, and now we're finding consumers or wages are drinking RTDs, where before it was a very younger audience. But now you can go along to a barbecue and you can see a four-year-old or a 50-year-old slipping away on an RTD and it's not frowned upon. So that has stolen share from cider. It's also RTDs are seen as um, playing uh, in the health and wellness space um, and they're doing a really good job at that at the moment. So cider's really looking for a brand uh, to stand up and be the category leader and bring some genuine innovation and shake up the category. Um, so for us, that's a big goal for next year um, to be that brand, bring consumers back into cider and excite them. So, you know, kind of wrapping up here and to bring things home, what do you see as a big trend or, you know, if you see multiple, multiple big trends around the corner, both in craft beer, but beyond beer as well, from your perspective, uh, looking ahead to the future, what, what are you seeing around the bend? Health and wellness. That's huge. It's such a big trend now that almost everything we do, we need to have that lens across it. So talking low calories, low carb, and then 0%. Yeah. Um, I think these are going to be huge drivers for every category in alcohol. Uh, and then we're at the moment just trying to speculate how big the zero category could be, uh, particularly for beer and cider. So keeping an eye on that and um, definitely gearing our portfolio towards that. Outside of beer, I think spirits will have a moment for New Zealand in particular. Uh, we never had the tequila boom that you guys had in uh, the US. That's probably because of our proximity to Mexico. We don't share the same relationship that you guys do, but I could see that taking off. But probably the main one would be around whiskey. We, with the gin boom that we've got, no doubt that whiskey will follow. There's at least 20 different distilleries um, in New Zealand that are aging New Zealand whiskey at the moment. The market at the moment is pretty small and unknown, but give it another five years, I could see this market taking off and um, being the sort of hot new spirit market in New Zealand um, as the awareness grows and more distilleries uh, release batches. Um, and it's definitely on our radar as well. Kind of on the other end of that fence, I, there is something really attractive about a New Zealand whiskey that I can't even articulate why. It's, I think of New Zealand as such a beautiful and faraway place that you pair that with whiskey and it's like, I just want to know about that. So I can see that being a big export thing as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of work is actually going to put in behind the scenes around the wars. You get on this thing, making sure that um, got a good framework so that we can be trusted to export. So yeah, watch the space, Cody. I'll give you the, um, make sure you get a taste of our, our first release for sure. Damon, what advice do you have for any brewery, any beverage company who is considering either a rebrand or a brand refresh or 
uh, making big changes in how they present themselves to the market? Uh, I'd probably say it's every marketer's dream to do a rebrand. Everybody wants to um, shape the brand they work for. But I definitely say you only want to go down this path if you're very clear on the reason you're doing it for. Um, It's not cheap. You've also got to take into account any collateral you've got in the market, the timing service is going to take, and then even the resource externally. If you don't have a clear reason for doing it, then uh, it's just about aligning the entire business and aligning your customers and consumers and making sure you take all of those people on the journey with you. Because the last thing you want to do with a rebrand is lose your consumers. Um, if you've got your hardcore, your day ones, you don't want to uh, leave that behind as you go down this journey. So being really clear on the reasons you're doing and then communicating that is the key to success, I think. So I, I think I mentioned earlier that this project with you this year has, I mean, it, depending on how you count it, I think it's been one of our biggest projects ever in terms of breadth of categories and in terms of the scale of the the sort of abstract thinking that that led to the decisions that we were making. And working with you guys this year, our team has gained so much amazing experience and one of the most incredible portfolio pieces that we will probably ever have. So I wanted to thank you guys for the project and thank you for the experience of you know, getting to touch all this awesome stuff that you guys are doing. And I also want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It's, it's been fun to kind of review and think about this stuff from a marketing perspective. So all that to say, thank you, Damon, so much. No, thanks, Cody. It's been awesome working with you and the team. We're really stoked with how this has landed. Having your voice expertise to lead us through this has been amazing. And I think the result that we've got to is truly unique, um, especially for the New Zealand market. And to see it come to life across so many different categories and seeing it in trade now is um, just amazing. And we're um, really excited about the future. Thanks for listening to Beer Branding Trends. If you like what we're doing here, if you find this valuable, please rate and review us over on iTunes and head over to beerbrandingtrends.com to join more than 5,000 subscribers who receive our monthly email newsletter covering strategy, currents, and actionable advice from Kodo Design, a branding firm on the front lines of beer and beverage branding. Take care. We'll catch back up with you soon.